We started uh, the first half of the chapter last week. We'll finish it up today. Two kind of two sections of it that I want to cover today, two kind of points that, that we'll look at. Um, overall, again, remember the ultimate overall theme of this book as we've been going through the last several weeks in Galatians 4 is justified by faith. Paul was just reminding the Galatian church one more time that your justification doesn't come from the way you act. It doesn't come from the law and how many rules and all that kind of stuff you could follow. How many of you are still thankful for that? How many of you are thankful that our justification comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, Him crucified, Him resurrected, and everything that that means and that we, all the things that we have uh, the ability and the power to be a part of. Uh, we'll start with verse 17 tonight. This first part of the chapter in Galatians 4, as we kind of covered last week, again, Paul sort of reminding them of, of this aspect. He's, he's using multiple methods, different ways, every kind of uh, possibility he could use or method he could use or strategy he could use to try to teach this truth and convey this truth. He's pulling out of his toolbox to try to help them to understand this aspect and this fact because there's been so many people who've infiltrated the group trying to convince them that they need to go back to the law, that they need to go back to this or they need to go back to, to that. And Paul's saying, no, no, we've, we've, we've been complete through the crucifixion. We talked about that last week and how he, he sort of used the, the idea of, of children. Before you were like a child, when we were under the law, that was the way kids act, right? We talked about that, how kids... Um, they may have an heir, they may have a right to something, but my, my kids may be the heirs to the things I have, whatever it may be, but right now they're just kids. And so if they come up to me acting like they can get it right now, I'm going to say, no, get in your place. Y'all remember us talking about that? We, we have kids, they have to do their time, they got to learn how to, how to grow up and how to mature and what they are supposed to do. When, they, when the right time comes and they mature, then they're going to be able to step into the inheritance that they have. Everybody okay so far? That's a quick recap of where we were last week. Well, we now get to the point where Paul's going to continue kind of talking to them. This, these first few verses we're going to look at tonight, he's continuing to look at them uh, with an aspect of, he, of correction where he's trying to rebuke them a little bit and correct them and show them what they need to do. And then he's going to give a, another brilliant lesson to illustrate the importance of how our justification works. And we'll start with verse 17. Verse 17 says this. He says, they, they he, that he's referring to are these false teachers, these people who have infiltrated the Galatian church and have tried to, to seduce them for all intents and purposes or to deceive them. He says, they zealously, that's a key word, zealously are courting you, but they're doing it for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. So again, let's, let's break this verse down for a moment. He, he's saying the people, that, that's who they are, I'm identifying them, the false teachers, the people who are coming in with this false gospel to tell you that you should go back to the law, the people who would try to put rules, more specifically the people who would try to tell you that this gospel I'm preaching is not the truth. Those people have a, a design, they have a purpose, there's something they're intending for you to do. But they're doing it for, they're, they're zealously courting you. And I think that's important. I think a lot of times, even in today's day and age, uh, zeal can be a good thing. We're going to talk about it. He even mentions that. Zeal's a good thing. Uh, zeal is kind of a, a, another word we would use in our day and age of passion. How many of you like when people are passionate about their jobs, right? 
If, if you're dealing with someone, you want them to be happy. Uh, in today's day and age, there's not a lot of zeal, and I kind of can understand standpoint, but there's nothing. Every day, I, every time I've gone through McDonald's recently, I don't know if anybody does that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my own fault for going through McDonald's. Maybe the Lord's trying to teach me something. I don't know, but it seems like every day, it doesn't matter if it's at 6 in the morning. It doesn't matter if it's at like 10 at night. If I drive through McDonald's, it's sort of become a very habit. I can probably say at least seven times in a row. I'm going to look at the people who are giving to me my food. I'm going to smile at them the best I can. I'm going to say, hey, how are you doing? I hope you have a great day. They're going to look at me blankly. They're going to shove a bag right out the door. I'm going to grab the bag and look at it. They're going to stare at me blankly and then close their window, even as I'm saying, all right, be blessed. Maybe it's just my face. Have any of y'all ever had an experience like that? I don't know. I just have kind of wonder sometimes. Me and the Lord talk. Is it, is it something I've done? Do I need to change my deodorant brand? I don't know. I just don't, you know, but I wonder. I think that, that, that seriously there's something that happens when there's people who are just simply there and trying to get by. Their passion doesn't exude. Does that make sense? You ever go through a checkout line at a grocery store or at Walmart or anywhere? I won't call it any name. Maybe I shouldn't have called out McDonald's that way. This is recorded. But, you know, you go to any sort of place where you're checking out. And again, just trying to be as pleasant as you can. Hey, how you doing? And you're just met with nothing. Yeah, and it's, it's like, okay, sorry for being nice, you know. I won't do that anymore. You just, I'll just stare at the ground and you continue to check out my items. We'll go through it that way. Okay, so you're saying, PB, you're being silly. Maybe so, but the, the, the point I want to prove is that there's a lot of times in this life we go through and we encounter and have to deal with people who are less than zealous. Would we say amen to that? We deal with people who aren't real excited about what they're doing. They almost seem like they're, uh, they're being tortured by serving you in whatever capacity that they're serving you in. And a lot of times we make those kind of, uh, that commentary. We talk to people. We even try to tell them, maybe if we talk, man, just, just be zealous. Be excited to be here. Customer service, right? Well, here's the, the deal. In, in the kingdom of God, the, the Lord wants people to be zealous for the right things. But, but here's what we have to understand that zealous doesn't always mean that it's sincere. Zeal doesn't always equal sincerity. Is this okay? I could go to that same McDonald's drive through tomorrow, and if they're just looking at me with the fakest smile in the world saying, hey, have a great day. They're saying it, they're showing zeal, they're trying, but was it sincere? You usually read through those pretty well as also, am I right? Just as equally as you can determine when people are being, um, you know, less than zealous, you could pretty much pick up very quickly if they're being fake, if they're not being sincere. So there's a couple of, couple of points I want to prove just with this verse I want to show you uh, that, that I think Paul is teaching his people not only then and how they're dealing with false teachers, but I think you need to understand that there are people and spirits at work even right now trying to deceive and, and trying to convince you to step away from the truth. The, the Lord is, or the enemy is working at all times. The Lord said in the Bible, it's a common verse quoted a lot, but he said the enemy is roaming to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Do you understand what that means? He's looking around trying to find an avenue into you, your life, into your mind, 
And it's not always the scary. We're, I know we're in October, and I'm, I'm not telling you that none of this stuff is real. You're in October. We're gonna, you're gonna see every movie on every screen of every type of exorcism type of thing known to man. They're gonna make a ton of money on doing that. And, and I'm not telling you that those things are fake, but I'm also not telling you that the enemy has people diseased believing that's the only way it looks. It may not come into you looking like it's all rawr, rawr, and, and, and all the vomit and stuff. It may just simply be some a thought that he puts in your mind and gets you thinking about the wrong thing, and all of a sudden, you're then questioning or stepping away from those things that are true. Is this okay? So that's what he was saying. He was saying, listen, the fact that they're zealously after you it can be a sign. Just because they're zealous about it doesn't mean it's right. There may, be, there may appear to be a great deal of zeal where there's little truth and little sincerity. I'll kind of show you the way this looks, maybe in a different way. Again, you're going to just think this is PB being silly, but stay with me. I think I can communicate something to you. A lot of you may know my story. My dad was a pastor. Both of my grandfathers were, were pastors. And so just in, in the way of, of our growing up and living life, it was common. And the way that they lived, that I'm thankful that's why I celebrate so hard. We were celebrating 29 years of Pastor Sunday, right? Well, my, my parents and my grandfathers were kind of the ones that about every few years, it was time to go somewhere else. And so we'd always have stories of when to move in. And it became an adage in our family that when it was time for, for a new church and just voted uh, somebody in, whether it was one of my grandfathers or whether it was my, my dad, and they had been voted in and accepted a new assignment, we'd, you know, they'd pack the U-Haul and move into the new town, right? And this had become an adage. They'd always say, All, the people you have to watch the most or the people maybe you should trust the least are the first ones who help you unload the U-Haul. Now, I don't know if any fields that y'all are in may have an adage like that, but it was always something to know. The people that you're going to have to be wary of the most, the people you better watch the closest, are the ones who help you unload the U-Haul, the first ones there to unpack it. Now, is that meaning that we were being silly and not appreciating the help? No, but here's what where that adage had come from. A lot of times in a situation like that, the new pastor comes in and is sort of getting to know people, Anytime there's a change in leadership, that's always some people's first attempt to try to squeeze in as much power and access as they can get. Does that make sense? So those people would be the first ones there to try to come in and, oh, hey, pastor, we're so glad you're here. How are you doing? And it'd be all nice and stuff. And here's what, as I grew up and kind of observed, it wouldn't be but a few months later if things started changing or a decision was made that they quote-unquote, weren't consulted with or they thought needed to be consulted with, they would be the first one getting in a hizzy and getting angry and causing discord and going and talking to everybody else and getting everybody. And I was like, wow, there's some truth to that. What does that apply to your life? I think there's a lot of people in your life that may be zealously trying to gain access to you. And if, especially if you've gone through seasons where relationships haven't been good, maybe you have a personality where you just don't have a lot of friends, or maybe you find yourself in a situation where you say, man, I want people connected to me. You need to be wary and careful. I'm not saying don't let anyone in. I'm not saying be isolated and alone. But I'm telling you, the Lord God and the Spirit gives us discernment for a reason. It's a part of the spiritual gifts that we're to have. We should be able to note if someone's trying to come into our life to benefit our life, to add to our life, to be as someone who's ironing, sharpening iron, or if there's someone simply coming in trying to use us for their own selfish ambition and gain. 
And I, I'm not being negative again as I've talked the last few weeks. I'm not trying to be, you know, rain on your parade. I have to be honest and I have to be, be real with you. I have to be in, in a pastor role. I have to advise you. Paul was telling his people, listen, they're all coming after you, but just because they're zealous and excited about it doesn't mean that there's some kind of special spirit there. It's still the spirit of the enemy. And they want to deceive you and make you think that all of these things that I've been teaching you is in vain. And I'm telling you to be careful. Be careful when there's just a lot of zeal. Because sometimes there can be people who are excited about something that's still false. Is this okay? Let me give you a second note about this. People with these seducing spirits, the people who are trying to to deceive, they're trying to pull you toward their side, they regularly insinuate themselves in the people's affections, and by that means, they want to draw them into their opinions. Regularly, people who who are like this, they have just a knack of just getting close to you. They have a knack of, of just getting you to open up and share things with you. They have a knack to get you to become emotional and to share those emotions with them. And they want you to do that so they can gain your trust. And it's not so, again, they can just, we can have a close relationship. It's so they can use that for their gain later on. It's getting real quiet. I know this is kind of heavy stuff, but Paul's saying, you guys have got to be mindful you know, it's not everybody out there is, is there and on your side. You know, again, can I use another silly analogy to maybe make lighten this up a little bit? I just came to my mind as I'm talking. Anybody familiar with the movie Elf? I know it's just, uh, it's not even October yet. We're a little ways from Christmas. Some of y'all are already starting to call me a blasphemer right now. But it's not going to be too long but that, that we're going to be seeing those movies pop on TV. And I'll be watching Elf about 17 times between, you know, leading up to Christmas. But I remember there's this particular scene. Buddy the Elf, he's grown up at the North Pole the whole time. Yes, it's fictional. It's okay. But, but, but Buddy the Elf, he grows up at the North Pole and he's about to go uh, to, to see his, his, his father in, in, in America and New York for the first time. And he's about to leave this place he's been sheltered. And they keep telling him and giving him all these things. Buddy, you don't understand. New York is not like the North Pole. Everybody's not happy and singing Christmas carols all the time. Even to the point that he says, listen, there's going to be like gum on the rails. That's not free candy. That's where people have littered. Don't eat it. And kind of the the humor uh, of the movie, kind of the charm of the movie is here he is and he goes and he still has no idea. He's eating all the gum off the rails and... All the candy that he finds and everybody he sees, he's going up and giving them hugs even though they want to fight him. Why? Because he don't know. A lot of times in our life, we're kind of like Buddy the Elf. When we get out on this thing on our own, we kind of can be, we can become naive. Our spirits, you know, have come in contact with the Lord and our spirits have come in contact with, man, there's great, it's great for us to connect with people and there's people who want to help us. Uh, but don't get so naive that we think everything that comes into our life has that spirit and wants what's best for us. Is this okay truth tonight? We have to understand that the enemy is going to dispatch people that, that are going to want to connect to your life too. And again, it's not always going to look that way at the beginning. You have to gain some discernment. You have to do some observation. You have to watch it how they're acting and how they treat other people. And ultimately, the Lord will reveal the truth and help you and prevent you know, people from coming too close to your life and tying to your soul that you don't need to. 
I know I, I didn't quite intend for it to get this deep this quickly, but I, I think it's important for us to keep this in mind. A lot of people are going around wondering they've been hurt and they've been destroyed. The enemy has people uh, unwilling to connect because they've been hurt in this way. That's what, a lot of the times the term that people like to use is church hurt. Well, I think what, what we, it's a vague term, but I think that's a lot of what happens is people have come into our lives and we've allowed people into our lives that didn't have our best interest at heart. And as a result, they took what we had for granted for their own gain, and we feel like we've been abused and misused. And Paul's saying, listen, all these people are trying to do is get you to, to, to follow after them. They're jealous that you consider yourselves disciples of me, and thus they're jealous of the truth, so they don't want you to believe the truth. They would deceive you with a lie simply so that you could be on their side. Please do not believe that the kingdom of God is absent. I should say the kingdom of God, but people in the name of the kingdom of God, people within churches who are claiming to be in the kingdom of God are simply trying to build their own kingdoms by building followings. Is this okay? All right. So this, this is it's a spirit of seduction. The same word we'd use for someone trying to get you into, into their bedroom for something, it's the same way spiritually that these people are trying to do. Can I, can I be... Can it be true, I guess, is what I'm saying? I know it, I'm not trying to sound crass, but just trying to tell it the truth. Here's a third note I want to put. Whatever pretenses these people may make, their ultimate regard is always going to be their own interest above all else. Here's how you could tell. You're sitting here saying, PB, you're saying all this. How do I know when people are... I can, it ultimately is always going to lead to this. At the end of the day, if someone's in your life so that you can benefit them and that is the only word that they have, then that's, that's a tell already. Does that make sense? And I'll go from every level. Listen, I've, I've, I'm not afraid to say this, and I'm always careful for the Lord to hide me behind the cross and to humble me if, if I ever come across this way. But anybody who's in a role as a pastor or leader, anybody who's speaking in a way like this, if my whole goal, and I'm counting all of the, the, the benefit of what I'm doing is simply for you to like me so that then you will go and share all my stuff on social media and that you'll listen to me and you'll follow me and then eventually maybe, you know, give me money and, and, and kind of build Bradley Robbins Ministries one day where I go and I go across and I, I, I speak to people all over the place. And that becomes my goal. That right there becomes the mission. That right there becomes the main objective. Then who is my ministry benefiting? Me. Now, if the Lord opened doors and I was going and it was, you know, we, we had a mission and I was reaching people, that, those are ministries you could tell. Why? Because if anybody's talking about that ministry, that's what they're going to say. It's going to be about the people and the objective. Is this okay? Is this making sense? If people and objective, listen, as a pastor, my number one goal is, is you and your growth. It's never about me and my convenience. And I'm just using me as an example, I, I, just because I'm here and this makes sense. But any time in our ministry, my, the, the ministry since I've been at All Seasons has never been just how successful whatever ministry I'm in charge is of so it can build to this so I can look like I'm good and all the people and the board and all the people would think, oh, hey, you're doing a great job. I mean, I, I want you to think I'm doing a good job. I want to do a good job, not just you know, I, want, I want to do a good job. But the, the objective is to see people grow and get closer to Jesus. The objective tonight is not for you to leave here and say, wow, that Pastor Bradley kept me kept my attention for a few hours or there or however long it was, and man, he did good, and you pat me on the back. I've told you that before. I appreciate when you do that, and those things are encouraging, So I'm not, but, but that's not my goal. My goal is that something that the Lord speaks to you tonight will grab your heart, and you leave here saying, okay, that was something that made my life different. Is everybody with me? 
That is the notion of somebody that you can follow. That's somebody I won't pour in my life. It's somebody who cares about my life and wants to see me grow, not someone simply trying to build their kingdom. Be wary of anyone who wants you to be a part because they'll start talking to you and they say, man, we just really want you to be a part of this. Then they start trying to pull you to this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. And by the time you're, you're being pulled there, it's not you that's growing. It's their bank account or their social media following or it's sort of their, their prestige that you're sitting in their room. Is all this okay? Just follow it. You can, it's very easy for you to do. The Lord will give you discernment and help you see these things. Paul said that's what it is. If you're trying to build someone else's kingdom and someone else's ministry, uh, and, and it's not edifying the kingdom, but it's just simply benefiting them, it's not of me. It's not of the Lord. And guess what? These people, that's their ultimate regard, and they will be willing, the last thing here, they will be willing to ruin your reputation if it makes theirs look better. I'm using the church as a, as a good example, but I mean, how many times do we see this with people getting in relationship with folks like this, okay? That's why when I talk to students, I tell them this, I'll tell you as adults, you, you be careful too who you allow yourself in business relationship with. Because there may be people, and it, it's just business, but yeah, their, their business is to simply try to, to build themselves up and they're not, they're not afraid to let you fall and take you down for it. People in romantic relationships who fall in love in a matter of days, you know, oh, it was love at first sight, and I'm not sitting here trying to judge your relationships, but you better be careful who you start hitching up to in that type of manner, right? Because how many times have we seen it when we've counseled or we taught with people who jumped into something they thought was real, and somebody was not in it for, for the, they were simply in it for themselves, I'm going to move on. I know this is kind of harsh, but please understand what he's saying. Just because it's zealous and they're courting after you and it's going to come after you and it's, you're going to have to have some boldness of the Lord sometimes to say no. Everybody say no. Come on, say it again. Say no. Yeah. There's a, there is a spiritual gift, I think, sometimes, or maybe I should say it this way, not to try to be, you know, blasphemous again, or, 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 but, but there is a spiritual anointing of saying no, of setting a boundary for yourself. The Lord will allow you boldness and grace to tell people no. There may be a time where you have to explain to somebody, you know, somebody wants to be a part of your life, somebody wants to hang out, someone wants to pull on your anointing, someone wants to take... There may be just some times where you have to say no. Not because you're being a jerk and not because you're selfish and not because, again, you're trying to isolate. It's simply because somebody's spirit doesn't bear witness with you and you don't need that in your life. Be willing to say no. And don't allow these spirits to begin to seduce and try to, to sway you away from the things that God has for you. Look what he says then in verse 18. This is important. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. So zeal is all right. Everybody say zeal's all right. Yeah. It's not always going to be right, but it's okay to have zeal when your zeal is where? in a good place. And as he says, not only when I'm present with you. This is what he means. Zeal needs to be exercised only on those things which are good. If it's not good, don't be zealous about it. I mean, you know, we could talk about some of the, the very obvious things, but, you know, when we lived lives of sin, we were probably zealous about it, weren't we? We were probably very zealous and excited about the weekend parties, Right? We were zealous about the fact of what we were going to be doing and who we were going to be with. And woo! 
It's easy to get in the world and be zealous, but lay, it's okay to be just as zealous about things that are good. Zeal is then only good when it is in a good thing. Those who are zealously affected that those things which are evil are simply going to be doing so much more to hurt the world or hurt the kingdom. And listen, another thing that you need to realize, that herein it be constant and steady. Here's the important part about zeal that we see, again, as we're getting into the body of Christ, talking about young Christians. A lot of times zeal comes naturally when we first get into the kingdom of God. You hear it, you first get saved. You remember how you felt? You remember being just excited and fired up? And even we kind of go through ebbs and flows. We go through cycles as we continue on. You know, there may be a time where the Lord does a miracle, man, and that miracle gets you excited. Man, he answered this prayer. Woo! Hallelujah! And that zeal just reignites. And then you go through seasons that I talk about sometimes uh, where, you know, it just feels like you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you just sat and felt like nothing's happening, like you're beating your head against the wall. And in those moments, we don't feel quite as zealous, do we? Well, Paul was telling them, he said, listen, you all were zealous. Remember what he said earlier in this chapter. You can go back and look what we talked about last week. You guys, when I got there, y'all were so excited. He used these words. He said, if I would have needed y'all to take out an eye and give me so I could have seen something, you would have popped your eye out and you would have gave it to me. Now, it probably would have been a little weird, but you would have done it. And that, that was what he said. He said, you, you were so excited and zealous and passionate about what I was teaching you when I was there. Now that I'm not there, why has that zeal died down? This is the point he's talking about. Zeal is good, but zeal isn't about how high the zeal can be at its peak. It's about how constant you can continue with it as you go. Is this okay? He's saying, when I'm there with you and when I'm not there with you. I mean, think about it, how as Christians in America in these day, this day and age, how easy sometimes it is for us to want to just coast through. This is hard preaching because uh, we're all guilty of it. I'm even sitting here from as someone talking to you. I know because there are times and moments where we feel like we can kind of coast through and maybe take a break, right? You know, if there's a Sunday coming up, we know, well, pastor won't be there today. Okay. It's disappointing, so I'm just... It's not even going to be the same, so I just don't even have to, to really dig in as much. From a staff standpoint, there's always, you know, like it is when the boss is going, you just kind of see if I can lie low. Not that we do that. I'm just saying it's just kind of the, the mentality that the enemy comes and tries to creep in with. Does this make sense? You know, it's like it is when your boss is not there at your job, right? Or if something's a little off, it's, man, it's raining today. Oh, it's a holiday today, man. Whatever it is, I'm giving you several examples, but we look for almost any excuse every now and then just to say, okay, well, since this didn't work the way it was supposed to be, or that's not normal, or this isn't happening, I'm just not going to be as excited and just kind of endure it today, and we'll get back to normal in a few weeks. Whether that's church, whether that's the even in your devotions, maybe you, man, I just hadn't been feeling as well, so I'm just going to coast through this devotion time. The Lord understands, He sees, we'll get it fixed later on. You know how it is. Once you start kind of one time letting the, taking your foot off the gas, and it becomes much easier to miss the next one, and it becomes much easier to miss the next one, and before long, your whole routine has been disrupted. Do I have a witness? Paul's saying, listen, y'all, I know how you, how you were acting when I was there. Now that I'm not there, you just think because I'm not with you, you can just kind of coast? No, I need to see the same zeal then. 
And if you're all excited when I'm there, but you can't show that same excitement when I'm not there, then something is fake. Something's not real. If it has to look that way, if it has to be that certain person, if it has to be in that mode, then apparently the zeal was tied more to a routine and more to a figure than it was Jesus. Even if your zeal was more tied to me than it was to Jesus, that isn't the way it should be. That's what Paul was saying. Does everybody understand? And so that's, that's the point. He's saying, listen, zeal needs to be constant. How happy would it be for the church if we would observe this rule? Listen, the Lord wants you to be zealous and excited. But listen, don't get zealous and excited only when your song is being played from the stage and it's only your singer that's singing it. It's only your favorite preacher who's preaching it. And it's only your favorite scripture that they're talking about. And it's only your favorite person who came and gave the altar call, so you went. That was meddling, I know, but... Don't be all happy for one, and then the next one you're going to say, no, that's not it. Then there's something wrong with the zeal. The Lord's looking for constant. He's not looking for an act. I'm going to move on and let the Lord work on you there. Verse 19, he gets to this. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Let's look at that. Now he begins to soften his tone. Old Paul here, who's been kind of raking them over the coals, he's been really giving it to them. You know how it is. You're just like, oh. So Paul's got to bring them back. He says, my little children. This is kind of a twofold thing. Some people may argue or may believe or want to think that maybe he is kind of messing with them and mocking them and saying the way that you've been acting, the way that you're acting and your immaturity, that's why he's using the term, my little children. But... In custom and in languages, as Paul is writing, this was simply a term of endearment with him saying, my little children. He's showing them that even though he's having to correct them and even though he's, he's giving them truth that is tough and isn't easy to listen to, he's saying, I still love you. Can we go back to again kind of tie in where we were last week talking about his parents? How many of his parents have had to have some really rough talks with your kids? How many of you as parents, you had to get on them to the point where they wasn't happy. They's crying and they's all snotting and everything. And maybe even, you know, there have been times when, you know, I had to deliver some punishment. And I even prayed, Lord, if I went too far, please forgive me. But they needed that lesson. It doesn't make you feel good on the inside, does it? My love didn't change. I just had to say, you, you, need, to, you need to get a grip here. Is this Okay. There's sometimes as a parent, you have to be harsh. There's sometimes as a parent, you have to be willing to, to, to punish, even if it's not going to make you... F- Listen, my kids in that merry moment when I'm punishing, they're not thinking, oh, you're the greatest dad in the world. They're not in that moment thinking, man, you're going to be the, your best friend. No, they're thinking in that moment, man, I hate you. That's probably what they're thinking. I mean, you know, just in that moment. Because it's not fun. Paul, as a, as a pastor here to these people, as an apostle here that's, that's working it, you know, the, the goal, their job, their role is to sometimes have to give correction that isn't hard to give. Or, I mean, it isn't easy to give. It's hard. But I can tell you as a father, even in the moments where I had to deliver the most punishment and it was the worst, you know, to my heart, it, it didn't change the love I had for my sons. Amen? Just because they mess up, and it may, I may feel emotional anger when they've messed up, it doesn't mean that I no longer love them. 
Paul says, you're my little children for whom I'm laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Powerful language that Paul is using there. You see, they've already been born again, but but he's saying now, I feel like because you've, you've, you've known the truth, but now you've messed up, you've gone away, you've heard this law, now there needs to be another work that happens in your life. And so I'm, I'm going back into labor for you again. Now, some of you, when you read that, literally thinking, whoa, this is getting weird. He's not talking, obviously, physical. But the burden that's on his spirit for these children, these people, that he is so strong that physically it feels like he's in travail. How many of you have prayed for those kids that you knew that you taught them the right way and they've went out and they've done those things and you just had to get into a moment of travail? God, I need you to do something. Those people in your life that you knew, you know, know the Lord, they know the truth, they walked with the Lord maybe even at one time and right now they're out, they've backslidden, they've done something and they're not where they need to be. How many of you know that feeling when you begin to travail and you moan and that burden begins to just grow on you. That's what Paul's dealing with. Does this make sense? And I want to make a couple of notes here where Paul is not only showing you what he feels, but I think it's in something important we need to understand about the role of ministers in the lives of people of us and in the lives of Christians. Verse 20, let me read that quickly. He says this, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone for I have doubts about you. Listen, he even says, I wish I could be there. Maybe if I saw you with my own eyes and I saw exactly what you were doing, maybe if I could could, could point and get some a better understanding, maybe I wouldn't have to be so harsh, but I have doubts. I need to know that you know the truth. couple of notes here. The very tender affection which faithful ministers bear toward those among whom they're employed. And you notice, again, kind of what I said carries over from what I was talking about at the beginning. If you want to know a real minister, if, it's, if a real minister is, is, is in your life, it's someone that you could count on and you could call real, that there's really trying to, to do the work of God, or if it's someone simply trying to build their own kingdom, Paul's saying right there, that's it. So a, a true minister is going to, to, to burden, and they're going to, to sort of wake over the ones that have been put under their ministry. They're not going to be able to hide that. You can't fake that. There's going to be a tender affection which faithful ministers bear toward those among whom they're employed. It's going to be like that of the most affectionate parents to their little children. So let me heed that moment. And again, I, I'd be wary of saying this, I know, because I don't, I don't always want it to come across like I'm trying to, to build up this platform I'm currently on. But it is important for you to understand there is a role that pastors play in your life. There's a role that people who, who are sitting in this office play. And sometimes, like tonight, I'll be real honest, some of the things I've had to talk about tonight, they're not easy. I say it all the time, somewhat jokingly, but I, man, I love to preach something that I know y'all going to like. Let's just talk about heaven, hallelujah, you know, because I can talk about heaven and everybody get excited. And we'd be clapping and rejoicing and we'd leave out of here happy, amen? <laughs> man, preach on the Holy Ghost, on the power of the Holy, man, you get somebody excited when you start preaching on those things. But then they're coming, you know, it's like with my kids, man, we're going to the movies or we're going to Disney World, man, my kids get excited. Well, I can be the greatest dad in the world again. But then there comes a point where we ain't going anywhere. You're going to go clean this room. We're not going to go anywhere. We have some chores that we have to get done. 
It's not as exciting, is it? Well, guess what? There's times when the Lord says, There's, this is what you need to speak on and what you need to advise on, and it's going to be things that are going to cut to the, to the, to the heart of, of the, the believer, and it's not going to be as excited, and you may not get pats on the back, and, you may, and it's all fine, but just trust that those are never done from a standpoint of someone trying to berate you, or at least I hope you know that with me and, and the people that are on our staff. We don't, I don't ever preach these or deliver these words with the intent of trying to be like I'm bringing something down on you or from a place of authority. I'm trying to do it with much humility. I just want you to be blessed, and I want your lives to be that what God wants it to be. So don't ever allow the enemy. The reason I say that is because it's what happens. All of us, have, I've been guilty of it too. The enemy will get into our mind and he'll, he'll try to have us deceived. When we hear something that's corrective in nature, he'll try to automatically get us upset and start taking it personal and trying to get us mad. And they didn't have any right saying that. And you get in the wrong spirit and you've just missed everything. That's what the Galatians were doing. They hadn't gotten in the wrong spirit because they believed these lies about the law. Here's a second thing quickly. The chief thing that, that ministers are longing and travailing in, for, in this case like Paul is, is that Christ may be formed in the people. Again, the role is, our, our number one burden and my desire is that Christ be magnified in your life, that you grow closer to him, that your life looks like him, that it's prosperous in the way that he would have you to be prosperous, and that you grow in him. My, my goal cannot be for after every time I speak, for I to have more people who like me. It's an old meme that's been going around now for the last couple of years, but it, you know, it talks about if you, if, you know, people who are in ministry, if you want people or leadership, any kind of leadership role, hey, if you want to make people happy, go sell ice cream. <laughs> if you're a leader, though, you have to sometimes be willing to make the hard choice and live with the consequences, Right? Third thing, that Christ is not fully formed in men until they are brought off from trusting in their own righteousness and made only to rely upon Jesus and his righteousness. Thus the reason, again, that he continues to go so uh, fervently in this book. You cannot leave here and as a pastor. I can't have you believing and leaving here believing and, and, and having heard this and, and think that you can go and make yourself right, that you can follow a rule, that you can follow in someone else's plan or follow along someone else's guidelines and that those alone will follow you. No, the righteousness of Jesus is the only righteousness that will set you free. Amen? It's by the blood that he shed that makes you clean. And listen, as I said, sometimes it can be taken advantage of, and I know it has. Ministers may too often find it necessary to reprove people, but listen, it's no grateful work for them also. They'd much rather there were no occasion for it. They're always glad when they can see reason to change their voice towards them. Listen, I want you to know true ministers have love in their hearts, and they're going to tell you what you need to hear, and they're going to do it with love, and they're going to be on your side. Let's move on quickly to verse 21. Now we're kind of Shifting to the second portion of this, this section of Scripture. So Paul's giving them those last thoughts, those reminders of, hey, I love you, you're my children, I'm, I'm groaning for you, I'm believing for you, I'm praying, I believe that there's a great work for you, and I'm going to see you come back to the true gospel and forsake the law. And so now he's going to give one more allegory here, one more picture of how this looks between law and, and between grace, and he's going to reference the Old Testament. Let's look at it, shall we? Verse 21, he begins to talk. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? 
You know, Jesus would do this from time to time, and, and Paul was educated, so he would do it from time to time. As a little bit of sarcasm, I think I can denote in the tone of what he's saying. He says, all you people want to go and follow the law, if that's what you want to do, you want to go follow the law and say that's how you really can be saved, well, let me tell you about the law and see if you really know it. I mean, Paul was well-versed. He was a Jew as devout as anyone, so he knew all of these scriptures well. So he's going to go back to the Jewish law and show them something. So he says in verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, let's go back a little bit, and I'll just give you the reference. I was uh, unsure whether to read it. I'm not going to read it. Uh, I think he gives a good synopsis of it here. But if you're taking notes and you want to go check my reference, Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 21. Those are the two chapters in Genesis that Paul is referencing here. But what he's referencing is the story of Abraham. Everybody remembers Abraham in the Old Testament. God came to him and said, you're going to be my guy. Through your people, I'm going to build a great nation. Through your lineage, I'm going to build a great nation. It's going to be so great that it's going to outnumber the, the numbers of grains of sand on the seashore and the number of stars in the sky. Even changed his name from Abram to Abraham to show that he had made a covenant it with him. Amen. So Abraham was the beginning of the covenant. Father Abraham, kind of the beginning of this thing. So big promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. There was only one problem. What was it? For a long time, Abraham had no kids. How can he be a great nation? <laughs> and it come from his lineage if there were no kids. And so again, you can reference, I'm going to paraphrase quickly, but he gets into this situation where Abraham and his wife Sarah are talking and Sarah's like, uh, it's not like it's not happening, Abraham. Why don't you just go and have a child with our bondwoman, our, our servant, Hagar? Go out there and y'all lay together and, and she can have you a son. And Abraham did so. The son was named Ishmael. Well, it wasn't too terribly long after this, though, that the Lord kind of reminded him and said, that's not who I said you were going to have a son with. And again, I could veer off here, but a great lesson and sermon there. How many times does the Lord tell us something and we try to make it happen on our own? And there are times when the Lord said, this would be the way it want to work. And I say, no, God, this would be just as good, right? And the Lord in His grace gives us free will, but then we go and we kind of make, uh, uh, or at least in my, <laughs> my shape, the way I've been in life, sometimes I go and I mess something up and say, all right, God, I'm sorry, I'll do it your way. That's, that's sort of where we were here. Abraham said, all right. So he and his wife, Sarah, very old, really too old to have a child, but the Lord's promise was true. And Sarah gets pregnant and she has a child. They name that son Isaac. So now Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, one that was the son of promise, one that was the son of a servant. So look at what it says again. Um, that's what he's referencing there. There was the one son by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But... He who was of the bondwoman was born according to what? Flesh. God said, I didn't tell you to go do that. Make sense? But he of the free woman, again, was born through what? Promise. So we have, and again, this is, a, this is a side note, but the two would actually go on and form two nations. God kept the promise. There was a nation that was formed through both. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people through Isaac. Ishmael went on and the Arabic nation that's still active today and that constantly is at war with the Israeli nation is coming from 
Ishmael, a great nation of people through him. But notice what Paul's wanting to show here. Look at verse uh, 25. For or 20, 24, we can go back to 24, I think I skipped it. Yeah, which things are symbolic. Let's pause right there. Which things are symbolic. Literary term is allegory here. So these are all things that literally happened and they had a literal end. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? Literally, we had two nations, nation of Israel, the nation of Ishmael, which are the Arabic nations. And you could take classes and look and study the history and even look at things and unrest in the Middle East that happened and Arab-Israeli conflicts that even are going on today as a result of what happened all the way back then in Genesis. It's kind of crazy to think about, kind of cool to think about how the Bible's still relevant. But nonetheless, that's the literal aspect of this. But Paul's making a point, but there's also a very symbolic or allegoric picture of this. These are two what? Covenants. Everybody say covenant. These were two covenants that were made. There was a covenant from Mount Sinai. That was the one that came through Hagar, which gave birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Follow what Paul's trying to say here. He says, really, this is showing you that there were two covenants, two dispensations that have happened up until now. There was a dispensation of bondage that you guys were in from the moment of Father Abraham. Once the fall of Adam happened, there was a, disp- a disposition, a dispensation, I should say, of bondage. Of the fact that the only way that you could get atonement was through sacrifice. And in order for you to, to have any sort of, of way of following God, you had to follow the law. That was Ishmael. Does everybody understand what he's saying? The law was Ishmael. That was Abraham trying to figure it out on his own. That's what the law was. And guess what? The law proved that it could not work. Everybody understand? Isaac then becomes symbolic of of my people after the redemption, after Jesus, the, 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 the bringing together of the Jewish people with Jesus as the Messiah and the Gentiles who come into the kingdom with a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. These people in Paul's eyes are the kingdom of Isaac that was, was promised. And notice what he says here. He's quoting Isaiah here in verse 27. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. So therefore, in verse 28, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of what? We are children of promise. How many of you are thankful for that? We don't, we weren't left like Ishmael to figure it out on our own because that's what would happen. Later on, Genesis 21, I referenced that. Once Isaac is born and starting to come of age and, and Sarah looks out and sees Isaac and Ishmael kind of playing together, what does she do? If you don't know the story, she goes to Abraham and says, listen, that other boy of yours, he got to go. You go tell that bond woman and you tell her son Ishmael that they need to hit the road because I'm not going to have my son, the true heir, sharing anything. And so that's what happened. Ishmael was sent away 
The Lord took care of him, raised him up, fulfilled his promise with him, but it was done away from the land and away from the, the, the kingdom there that Abraham had built. Is this all right? Does this make sense? Well, as a result, because of the two dispensations we're in, the dispensation of grace that comes with Jesus, now we can go boldly before the throne and we can receive salvation through Jesus. We're a part of the promise. Look what he says in verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so as it is now, nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. That was Sarah's words. So then, brethren, we are not children of the what? But we are children of the... We are the free. So one more time, Paul is looking at the people and he's saying, listen, you can continue to try to go back and go back and go back all you want to, to all the rules and all the regulations. You can keep trying to go back to all of the the ritual and you can keep going back to all the traditions and you can try to keep going back to you earning and proving your salvation on your own to try to build yourself up. You can keep listening to these seducing spirits that are trying to build their own kingdoms and you can do those things. But the Lord has already shown in so many ways that that's not my way. If you want to go back to bondage, go back to bondage. I'm going to choose to move forward in freedom. Amen? I'm thankful again, as I've I've said before and I'll say again, I'm thankful that we no longer have to live in the bondage of following a a law. We don't have to follow a a bondage or live in the bondage of, of sin and trying to do things the way everyone else told us they should and trying to make everyone happy. No, I'm free that I can live for the Lord and I can live simply to please Him. I live for an audience of one, and that one is the Lord. And this is what I've learned. When I honor the Lord, then all the other audiences in my life that matter, they're going to fall into place. When I honor the Lord and make Him the number one, most foremost thing in my life, then my wife is going to be seeing a husband that's following after Him, and she's going to see someone she's proud to follow after. And my sons are going to see someone and see a father that is worth following. And the people under my guidance here in the church and in the ministry, people I'm guiding and discipling, people who I serve here at all seasons, hopefully you want me to follow the Lord first and foremost, because if I'm following the Lord, then I'm someone that's going to be effective in helping you grow in your life. Is this okay? So many times I felt like in a lot of the things I've battled that, you know, there are all these people watching me all the time and I would get insecure trying to keep everyone happy. And the Lord said, listen, if you'll worry about making me happy, it's not a way of, of trying to make yourself better than everyone. It's not you putting down anyone else. It's not you being crass. But if you'll say, if you'll make my, my will your most important uh, role, go after me with everything you have, then everything else will fall into place. Will you stand with me tonight? I'll ask you to take some time and bow your hearts with me for just a few moments. As we end out with some time in prayer tonight, I would ask for you to open your hearts and allow Holy Spirit to begin speaking to you. What are some things through His Word that maybe He sort of nudged, some things He's pointing out in your spirit? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Bradley, there have been, there have been voices that have been coming into my life that have Maybe been trying to pull me astray. When I say pull you astray, it's not necessarily voices that are trying to tell you the sin, but maybe 
there's some negativity that has creeped up. People that have been bringing some faults and bringing some complaints and, you know, maybe that workplace that had been so peaceful, now all of a sudden one, one negative string of voices is starting to make things be a little bit more difficult and you're starting to question and wonder and become more apt to complain. Maybe even within the church, within the kingdom of God, man, I found a body of believers. I love it there, but wrong voices have gotten into my ear. The enemy's using people to try to convince me that maybe I don't have, they don't have it all right. And there's voices telling me, well, that person's not good and this person isn't right. And again, where I used to go for comfort and feel the Lord's touch, now I'm feeling negative about it. Maybe there's been people trying to attach themselves through relationships, romantic relationships, or just friendships. And We pray for the Lord to send those people in our lives that we need, but the enemy are going to send those too. Maybe tonight there's some of those people that you're just wondering. Maybe you've had some thoughts about tonight. Allow Holy Spirit to bring some confirmation into your heart. Allow Holy Spirit to give some discernment and clarity on some voices that need to be silenced in your ear and and voices that need to be silenced in your, your spirit. Again, maybe you're here and the enemy's just trying to keep you bound on the fact that you're not good enough and you can't do this right or that right. Let me once again remind you, as he said, listen, that's, that's a part of the Ishmael covenant. We're not going back to trying to make ourselves right. We're children of the promise. We're children of the free. And the sun sets free is free indeed. We're going to allow the blood of Jesus to wash us clean and the restoring power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and make us who He's called us to be. If you're in here tonight and that's you, I just pray as we are saying this prayer that you begin to lift your hands and open your hearts and you allow Holy Spirit to come in and wash those things clean and remind you of who He's called you to be. Father, I thank You so much for who You are. I thank You for Your many blessings. I thank You for allowing us to come together here tonight. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we're children of promise. I thank You, God, that we don't have to go back and live in that bondage of the flesh. But Father, You've given us power over those things. Father, we walk in that power. Father, we pray that that power become evident in our lives. Father, I speak and ask for a spirit of discernment to rest upon each person in this place. Father, talk to us. Open our eyes. Give us wisdom and help us to know. Father, we rebuke in the name of the Lord those spirits that the enemy is trying to attach to our lives to deceive, to bring negativity, to bring doubt, to bring worry. Father, that may be trying to deceive and distract us from where you're leading us. Father, if those spirits be operating in side of people that are in our lives. Give us the, the boldness to say no and to set boundaries around us. Father, ultimately, I pray, Lord, that you help us to go completely after you. Give us a zeal that's constant. Father, don't let the situations of life cause us, God, to, to ebb and flow and go up and down on the roller coaster. But, Father, help us to constantly go after you with everything we have. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody in this place say, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. Go give the devil fits this week.